0: with my partner, became pregnant, was happy, delighted, felt really confident in my my body and my work, in myself, and was doing uh, work with women-only groups on you know, Our Body, Ourselves was a book that informed my practice. I was very involved in a number of different communities. And then this thing happened, and it was a tremendous loss on a par, but very different from. The sense of loss of identity I had felt in my late teens when I had the really traumatic experience. And clearly, having an ectopic pregnancy at three months was very traumatic and was also life threatening.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L is a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Every L Podcast where we have different guests come on and share their experiences that they've gone through in life. If you don't understand the concept of what an L is, an L, if you look at it in binary terms in life, you're either gonna win or you're gonna lose. You might stack things up in a certain way, you've done all the prep work, all the groundwork, the occasion comes and you just flop, it just doesn't deliver like you want it to, and that feels like a major L that you're holding. And you at that point, you might want the earth to open up and swallow you in. Or just to curl up on a ball and not see the world for the rest of the year. Whatever it is, it's not a good feeling. But it doesn't necessarily mean that L that you've caught at that moment will always be an L later on in life when you look back. And that's what we're going to talk about with these various lovely guests that I have on. And I'm so grateful for each and every one of them for taking the time out to share these stories and to be as open and honest and to help other people feel less alone. Now, as I say as always, it's very cliche, but it's so accurate. I have another fantastic guest. This individual I've known probably about a year now or something like that. But you know when you have such good time speaking and getting to know someone over a period of time that you don't really put a timescale to it. You're just like, good vibes, good people, checking on them, see what they're doing. And secretly, part of the reason why you hang around them as much as you do is because you're inspired by them, how they conduct themselves, how they perform the daily tasks they do. And don't get it wrong, what you see on social media isn't necessarily reality, and I'm very aware of that. However, if they're consistently showing up and the things they put out, the standards they maintain are things that you want to do as well, oh, hold on to them, hang around them as much as possible. And this person is no exception to that. She's also a podcast host and well. She's got other qualities, which I will not delve into. I'll let her talk about in her introduction, but it does encourage me to know that even though we do podcasting, which is the same medium we do it very differently but at the same time there are similarities which sounds very confusing but it's a bit like humans we're different but we're the same we're not too dissimilar and i take so much away from what she does i love how she presents herself i love how she's catering for a demographic that may not know they need to be catered for and giving hope to those that are trying to break out of wherever they are in their life their career and want to step into another realm, but don't know what that looks like. But she's facilitating that by speaking to all these guests, all these different leaders and just showing them this is what it looks like. Yes, they might have this fancy title. Yes, they might be in this, this sphere, but they probably wear jeans and a t-shirt like you and I do. And this is what they sound like. And this is what they want to share. And yes, they have their own insecurity. They have to battle through like the rest of us. But they still show up, which is important. And whatever else they want to share, which is gems. And that is invaluable. I thank her for it. I absolutely love what she does. I love what she's about. And so, so, so grateful for her taking the time to come and jump on the podcast today. But without going on too long and making her head get so big she can't leave her office. Annie, how are you doing today?
0: Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction. And in particular for mentioning about the checking in, because that's what you have done with me when we were first introduced to each other by one of your podcast guests, who's also one of my podcast guests called Karen Dobrays. And uh, I listened to your talking with her. And although I've known her for many years, there were things that I didn't know. And she's a, a really inspiring woman, uh, an equity advisor, and who I met through when our children were attending the same school. Uh, what I've loved is how you have checked in with me regularly. You first asked me to be a guest on your show ju- uh, just around the time when my mother had died, and I wasn't ready to talk privately or publicly about the loss that I felt when when she died. So I am ready now. Uh, I needed that time. But what I've really loved is the way you have hung around me and checked in with me. We've messaged each other on Instagram. And I want to also congratulate you on your award for your podcast, which is truly well-deserved.
1: Well, unfortunately, it is just a nomination, but I'll take it. I'll take
0: it. I count a nomination as an award. And, a, you know, it is a nomination, and that in and of itself is an award. You're listed there, Matt, and uh, well deserved.
1: Much appreciated.
0: Recognition for your podcast, for giving people the opportunity to speak about loss and my full name is Annie Townend. There will be people who've heard me speak about this before. I haven't always been called Annie, but I have always been called Townend. And often when I'm meeting a team and or a group for the first time, whether that's online or in the room, and I want to hear a little bit about everybody in the room, I will invite them to say something about who they are through their name, which is a really brilliant way of people sharing just a snippet of their story. And so a snippet of my story is that until my mother died, um, she was really the last person who still called me by the name I was given, the first name that I was given when I was born. So she and my dad called me Anne. And uh, I spent my life up until I was 18 years old telling people that my name was spelt Anne with an E. I changed my name officially when I was 18 and that came about and perhaps it will be uh, reflected in some of what I share today around losing myself and finding myself. And when I found myself, I or began the journey at that time, I felt myself to be an Annie, and that's Annie with an I, no E. So it was only when I was introducing myself to a team a few months ago that I thought, oh my, I spent my first 18 years saying I'm Anne with an E, and I've spent the rest of my life saying I'm Annie, (laughs) that's no E. But I think that's relevant. And a few, probably a couple of years ago, I was described by an HR director to their chief exec as experienced and edgy. And I think that I am. I am very experienced, and I think I do bring a bit of edge. And from permaculture and from the gardening world, um, which is important to me, although I would never describe myself as a gardener, being outside in nature is very, very important to me. And in permaculture, there is a phrase which is about growth happens at the edges, and I think many of my lessons from loss and my learnings, which are ongoing, have come at the edge um, of X ex- You know, when I've been at the edge, so I will talk about that too. That is, I like that
1: growth is at the edge. That that wow. Okay, I'm gonna have to marinate on that a little bit. That that was.
0: marinate on it yeah definitely do because when you next go for a walk and you look at pavements at the edges in outside wherever and often at the edges of in in rooms that's where um, there is biodiversity that's where lots of different things are going on and there's lots of growth and I think when I apply that to lessons from loss and indeed in leadership and living and leading our lives, for me, it has been a process of making sense, making sense of my losses. And with that has come, you know, greater I hope, wisdom, um, but also a greater sense of knowing who I am and my losses and the learnings from them, being part of who I am. Something that I learned a few months ago from a webinar that I was invited to uh, co-lead with a colleague and I was asked to describe myself and I didn't describe myself through my name. What I did ha- was asked to do was to describe myself in um physical terms, so that those people who weren't able to see would be able to have a sense of who I was. So I thought I would do that as well and let your listeners know that I live in the UK and I've mentioned the garden already. I am in my shed in the garden in East Sussex and and i in my
1: summer house, that helps.
0: That's great. Where is your garden, Matt? Where is your summer house?
1: In Essex.
0: In Essex. Mm. Brilliant. I didn't know where you were based, so now I do, which is great. I'm a white woman. I have grey hair and I am wearing a pale grey T-shirt. Um, What I do, you've already alluded to the fact that I work with leaders and my podcast, Leaders in Conversation with Annie Townend, is an opportunity for leaders to share their stories. And I partner with leaders and their teams, helping them to create a safe environment in which people can have conversations that matter and to do that with curiosity, care and courage. And you could put in love there. So curiosity, love and courage. I'm talking about the kind of human to human felt experience of really caring about each other, which is really important to me, as is helping leaders to find ways of creating safe environments. And that will become clearer, I think, in what I'm going to share with you about the lessons I've learned from loss. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned about noticing loss came from one of my trainings that I went on many years ago. And the training itself was not especially engaging and we were all sitting in rows and we were taking notes and it was a slide led uh, lecture. And when the facilitator lecturer opened up for questions, there was somebody in the audience who asked the question, this is all well and good and sounds great. It was about facilitating and leading groups and team dynamics. But what do you do when you have a really difficult person in a group? And there was a general sort of laughter and of recognition that, Um, sometimes there are people like that. And the lecturer and facilitator paused quite a long pause and said, there's no such thing as a difficult person. There are only people struggling with loss. And that really resonated with me, Matt, because I thought When I'm struggling with loss, I can be difficult. I find myself difficult. It has been difficult. And it's helped me to really listen with curiosity, care and courage to people when perhaps they've been awkward, difficult, maybe they would have been described as difficult. And I've always held this in mind that there's, a lot more going on than I could ever possibly know and it helps me to bring that love, care and compassion in the moment and appreciate that they have shown up, that they are there despite all that might be going on in their lives that they may or may not yet, like myself, have be able to talk about. And I'm very fortunate that I have had over the years huge support, which has helped me in making sense of my losses and to learn from them. And not everybody has that. And I hope that people listening today, but also listening to your other wonderful guests will will feel reassured by that as well, that they can get support from listening to other people's stories. I certainly have.
1: Amazing. When you mentioned about difficult people, I was thinking, right, if I was in that situation, one of my answers would have been, someone could consider you as a difficult person <laughs> because you're, you know, you're disrupting the flow of the presentation. But if you were offered the question, that's fine. But when it starts getting, everyone else start getting on board, you feel like, hang on, calm down, people. Let's get back on track. But I feel like as well, people are going for a loss. And it could be a loss of understanding because they were following it up into a certain point and then frustration came in. They're like, I don't know what I'm talk- what's going on. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. Is even the right job for me anymore? I feel at a loss. But it could also mean that the person is in a different place to where you are and you have to meet them where they're at. And being a good leader should be able to identify that and say, right, those that can continue going on the path that I've set for you, keep going. I'm going to go and get this person. And it's not going to stand over them, towering over them like some parents do to a child and tell them off like, what are you doing? It's sort of like, bend down. Hey, how you doing? You're all right? How can I support you? And try and get that, get, get them on side. Yeah. And where you said about loss, and I'm not, are you familiar with the change curve by any chance? I am. So the change curve and the grief curve, very similar. Because in my experience, You've got to adapt and accept your new reality, or whatever the new process may be. And because you have to accept something new, it means you've lost what you already knew. And as a creature of habit, it's kind of hard to accept that. Because like say, I wake up in the morning at this time, I go here at that time, I do X, Y, and Z, I check out by that time, I'm going home. But all of a sudden, there's roadworks, or there's a new manager, <coughs> or there's a new process, which You can't understand why there's a new process. The old one's working sound. But this is new and efficient. Mate, it's taking me at least 20 minutes extra to learn how to do it or whatever the case is. But your head is struggling. You're going through that. And for those that are listening don't know what the change curve is, the change curve is a sort of rollercoaster that you go through when new information or new situations presented to yourself. So in first instance, you go through shock. Then you go through denial. Then frustration depression, which is the lowest point of this roller coaster, Then you go into experiment because you're kind of dipping your toe into it. Then you're faced with a decision, whether you're gonna continue or you're gonna go back to not wanting to pursue this further. And then you've got integration, which is where you get in line with everything. And if you think of integration as you're approaching the motorway and you're merging into the main traffic. And that point you've got to maintain speed. And if you can't maintain speed, it's not gonna be a fun journey for you. But I don't know, would you, after me saying that, can you see the connection between the two or am I just going off on a whim here?
0: I think the change curve and the grief curve are really helpful lenses to think about the experience of losing something, someone, of change, of loss, of grief and certainly have helped me along my way to make sense of loss and grief. And where I've come to now, Matt, is very much that everyone's experience of loss is different and that the change curve, the grief curve, which... um, is described beautifully by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in her book, for anybody interested, um, is helpful, as is appreciating that each person's own experience of loss is very different. And what I wanted to talk about with you was um, the loss of confidence, of losing confidence and finding it and resilience through my own experience because these are two things that have been woven closely together throughout my life and I thought it would be helpful to talk about losing confidence, losing a sense of self and self-belief and what has helped me and one of the things that along my way has helped me to make sense of Of some of the experiences that I've had indeed was discovering that somebody had thought about this curve and uh, it helped me to make sense of it mentally whilst probably in my heart still having a way to go. And I love your metaphor of needing to be able to travel at speed to get on the motorway and if you're not ready don't get on it you know you might need a little bit longer in the lay-by and or in one of the the side roads and and it's that meandering in the side road stopping in a lay-by and and feeling a bit lost with grief that I think is very personal to to everybody definitely I
1: agree with that
0: a nice metaphor, Matt, I must say. The, you know, when you're not quite ready, like when you first asked me to come and speak about loss, I was right in it. There was no way I was ready to uh, jump in the car with you and uh, head on to the, the motorway. I wasn't even yet sure I was in the right lay by, yeah. let alone, you know, the road.
1: And that's the thing. I think it's important to have a conversation because I think at that point, I don't even think. I don't think at the point I knew your mum had passed. You didn't. I think it was just a conversation, and later when you let me know, and that was where yeah. it's like, that's fine, N- no harm, no foul. Mm. It is what it is. And I think it's important that we talk, but it's hard. And I think yeah. it's important to one. Let me go back with the change curve and the grief curve. All those things I mentioned to you in it. They don't necessarily go in that order. It's just as helpful. Yeah, it's a helpful guide, um, but also. It's just letting people know that when you're going through something like that, I'll be there and support wherever I can. The reason why I guess I can use a lot of metaphors is because I'm very open and try to express my emotion in the best way possible. I feel what I feel so that when I talk to other people about what they're going through, I can hopefully have a better connection with them and hopefully articulate what they're trying to just because I, I experience it. I sit in the moment. I Don't get it wrong, for those around me, at times it's not the most nice because I'm in a bit of a mood but it's because I'm feeling what I am feeling so when I have conversations like this or speaking to others I'm able to articulate what maybe they struggle to because they're not allowed to feel what they're feeling because their their schedule is so hectic they cannot afford to and as we're, as we're talking we know there's a cost of living crisis going on in the UK and probably across the world so everyone's all about I need to get paid because if I don't get paid, there's going to be more stress, which is going to be more detrimental to my health, not much to my mental health, my physical and everything else. And this is where I think it's important that we do talk to the right people because some people just want to gossip. We don't want those people, but talk to the right people so they can offer you the right support. And sometimes that support is just knowing that they're there if and when you need them, whether it's to ramble, whether it's just just to keep you feeling like, they acknowledge you as an individual. Like you said, you lost your confidence and identity and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you are lost in a moment like that, and I'm, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. When you're in a new environment, a new situation, you can lose who you are because you're not willing to embrace the new version of your reality. And that confidence, some people will not know who you are, but those that know who you are will continue to be there with you, sit with you, and be saying, when you're ready to drive, we'll drive. When you're ready to merge, we'll merge, but not a moment too soon.
0: I love that, Matt. And something you said really resonates with me about meeting people where they are at. And I think I'd like to talk about where I lost my confidence, my self-belief, and how I found it again. And it's certainly finding it was through Being met where I was at. And I think earlier on in our conversation, you mentioned the kind of parents who were like my parents, very disciplinarian, particularly my father. Um, So there was a lot of telling me what to do, telling me who I was. And that contributed to my not really knowing who I was. And somebody once spoke to me about how they felt as if they had been bent out of shape by some of their experiences. And I remember thinking, that's kind of what happened to me when I was a child. I, I, I was bent out of shape. In other words, I was bent out of my own shape. And it took me quite a long time to find my confidence, my self-belief, and to bend back into myself, into my own shape, my true shape. And that came through searching for meaning and purpose, which I had also lost, and um, my parents, when I look back, they're both dead now, um, very much wanted to give me and my sister opportunities that they didn't have. And for them, that was education. They wanted us to have a good education. And they, what mattered to them is that we did well. And I was very happy at my first school, my primary school. I remember it. I used to walk to school with my mum, my sister, and I made two very special friends there called Suzanne and Timothy, who, when my parents decided to have me move schools to go to a different school, I lost contact with completely. And instead of walking to school with my mum and my friends, uh, my father drove me to school um, in another town, the town in which he worked. And he was a very hard worker. They were both hard workers. And at the time, in the early 60s, having children... Uh, as they had me and my sister, my mum stopped working as a teacher and became a full-time housewife. And looking back on that, she also worked very hard in the house, in the home, in looking after us, as he did through his work. But they had very, very distinct roles. But what they They shared was this ambition for both me and my sister to do well and to go to a good school. And I think our primary school was a good school, but they decided, as I say, to move us to another school in a bigger town. And that's where my father drove me every day, and my mum would pick me up. Sometimes after school, we would go and play on. the the Moors with my mum and grandma. I lived, I was brought up in Yorkshire. For those listeners who know, I was born and brought up in West Yorkshire, near Halifax. And I'm a very proud Yorkshire lass, as they would say. When I was 10 years old, my parents decided that it was time for me to move schools again, naturally, as in junior school was was finished and they decided to send me to boarding school in a completely different town, far away from home, not in the country and a long way from everything that I knew from family, from friends, from the landscape that I knew. So it was my next big experience of loss so my first experience of loss was the the change of school losing two close friends who i remember to this day and going to a school again where i didn't know people when i arrived at the boarding school i felt very very different i felt very lost and one of the things that i consciously chose to do was to lose my accent so not that i had a really broad yorkshire accent and those listeners who are from yorkshire will have already detected my accent but when i was at arrived at boarding school the first thing that i noticed was that i didn't speak like Others and I didn't have the same shared experiences as them either. Many of them had come from families where family members had already been to boarding school. Nobody in my family had ever, ever been to boarding school. And so it was a very alien experience, not only for me, but also for my parents who'd made the decision. I think when I look back on it, I I understand why they made the decision, but I was very, very unhappy and I spent five really difficult years being quite difficult, being one of those difficult people. It was difficult and I think I was difficult when I look back. What I my parents were committed to was this good education. However, after five years of being there, I was given the choice to come back home and to live back um, in West Yorkshire with them, which is what I did. And I went to the local comprehensive school. So I rarely talk about having been sent away to boarding school, but it has had a huge impact on my life of feeling lost and of losing myself during that time and it it were, those years were very formative and very significant in in who i've become really i don't think i did feel safe it didn't feel like a particularly safe environment but that was because it was unknown unfamiliar it was a city environment, not a country location. And I already knew from my early years that I was happiest in the countryside. I love being outside. I love walking. My happiest times with my family as a child were those at the weekend when we either walked together and or when I, I often walked on my own. I loved walking and, and still do.
1: That is a lot of change to go through at such a young age and young, impressionable age. Did you react negatively or out of character? I say it with quotation marks, out of character, because <laughs> you know you don't know what your character is necessarily. If, like you said before, what your parents would tell you was versus what you was was never aligned at that point. So, did you react in a negative way or out of character to all those changes?
0: The answer is I don't know, Matt. I I didn't know any different, really. And it was only, I remember visiting a friend from boarding school while I was still at that school and going to stay with her and her parents. And that was one of the first times that I realized Other families were not as strict and disciplinarian and didn't have the same rules as our family. So my parents had very strict rules, which they themselves probably lived by. But certainly I felt I had to do as I was told. And... Not ask, I've always been naturally curious, and this serves me well in my life and leadership, but probably as a child, it didn't always serve me well, and it got me into trouble. So I was myself, but I was definitely bent out of shape. and when i when I came back home to live with my parents. It was difficult for them and for me because I'd had five years of being away and only being at home during holidays, which had not been easy, really. We'd had fun times, but they were also quite difficult fitting back in and not feeling like I did. Remember that I'd changed to a certain extent the way I spoke. So then my friends at the local church where my parents attended, they thought I was posh. And then when I went back to school, I had to remember to speak like I spoke when I was at school. So I felt this sense of not fitting in either at home or at school. And that did change when I went to the comprehensive school, walked to school again, but it wasn't an easy time. By then I was 16 years old. My parents weren't used to having me there all the time. They used to having their own lives separately because by then my sister was also at boarding school. So I don't think it was easy for them and it certainly wasn't easy for me. And there's a lovely quote from... Brené Brown, she asked the question, what's the opposite of fitting in? And the answer she gives is...
1: Standing out.
0: Belonging.
1: Ooh, I like that.
0: I like that too. So I mention that because that's a really important part of what I think I had lost was a sense of belonging and something you said earlier, a feeling of being well-met and of being met where I was at. I don't think I felt that in my teenage years. And that's what I lost, was a sense of who I am and of belonging, which um, I set about finding.
1: Really insightful. So do you think the fact that you had to effectively, and there's a term called cold switching, where you talk one way with one group of people and then you switch it up for another group of people. Do you think that had a negative impact on you getting closer to your identity sooner rather than later?
0: Possibly, Matt. I think that the importance of being well met, of Difference and of belonging were things that I became acutely aware of. I don't think I knew that I was, that I had lost my confidence and resilience in who I was, because I don't know that I knew I'd ever found it. It was only when I left the Comprehensive School where I hadn't done very well and I didn't get into university to do what I wanted to do, which was art and English, a combined degree. And it was through my father who at the time read A magazine called Private Eye. And he spotted, I think he was quite desperate that I was going to be living at home for an extended period and keen for me to go somewhere, anywhere. And I was very fortunate. I got in on a BA honours degree in communication studies at what was then Sheffield Polytechnic. And those three years were years I look back on of realising I was a bit lost because the course had attracted people of all ages from very different backgrounds. It was a very multi modular course and quite revolutionary for its time. And it was other people's comments, feedback to me that I think made me realize that I was a bit directionless. I was, you know, in. I didn't really know why I was doing the degree. I found it interesting. I rarely spoke in seminar groups, hardly ever, if at all. And that was partly because of my upbringing and feeling that it was better to be quiet rather than to ask questions. So I definitely... Internalized some of the messages that I had received, and and I was not speaking out, and that's probably why. There's a quote, another quote I really love, Matt, which um, has just come to me in this moment. It's a Vanessa Redgrave quote, which she gave when she was awarded uh, something for her service to acting and the whole industry. And she said, Find your truth and your voice will follow.
1: I can get behind that.
0: It's so good that. And that's what I hadn't found. I was lost. I had been brought up as a Christian and I had lost that faith, which had, you know, I'd really questioned it and lost it. So by the time I was studying, for communication studies, I had lost quite a lot and hadn't really yet found my truth and And now, when I look back, I think I had that's why I had lost my voice. And then I had an extremely traumatic experience which um was to change me. and and i describe it as i woke up to myself and i hadn't in that experience really listened to myself i i didn't trust myself i didn't trust my instincts i didn't trust my intuition and i had to get myself out of a really difficult situation which i did and Afterwards, I knew I needed help, and the help came in various forms, and one of those forms was from an older, wiser woman who said to me, would you like to come on this weekend workshop? It's kind of therapy. It's a group therapy workshop. And I had, through my studying psychology, heard of therapy, obviously, but I had no experience of group therapy, of being in a group where, which was a therapeutic group. And I said, yes, because that felt like the right thing to do. And not unlike going to a new school meeting new people i knew nobody there it was completely alien to me everybody was sitting in a circle on cushions on the floor <laughs> and it was like nothing i'd ever known however i felt well met i felt seen i felt heard and i felt understood the facilitator and everybody was that that was there and part of that group had me feel a sense of belonging and that I could be myself, and I began to find my truth and my voice, and also I discovered my métier, Matt, I realized, I witnessed this facilitator, I described them, his name was John Heron, as an elegant facilitator. He, with everybody that was there, created this very safe environment in which we did the work we had come to do, whatever that was, and in the way that we did it. And I thought, one day, that's what I want to do. I have found what I wanted to do. So it was like a door opening, and not unlike when you think of a, if I think using a metaphor, that perhaps will resonate. It was like having a house and not having open, that, knowing that the rooms were there, but never having opened the doors, perhaps through fear of what might be in there. And for me, this weekend workshop helped me to start opening these doors that for whatever reason I had closed and to build the foundations of of who I have become and it was at that time that I changed my name from Anne to Annie
1: so it's like you found your identity and you put it out there by saying please don't address me as this because this is who I am and I feel empowered by that
0: yeah, I it was an internal thing and then I in the day when people sent postcards to each other I was working help set up and was working in a whole food when I finished my degree I'd no idea still what I wanted to do I'd found my metier around the time I'd finished my degree but I had no idea really how to realize it. However, at the same time, I chose to study child psychology part-time and to help set up a whole food cooperative, which had a huge, big ambition, which was uh, around recycling. People brought their own bags and jars in. We made sure people knew where the food was sourced from and we were able to engage in the the local community that visited, shopped and supported what was called Down to Earth in Sheffield. A time I'm really proud of and we pioneered flexible working, job rotation and because of that I was able to study child psychology but only for a short while because it was while I was studying and being supervised that my very wise supervisor suggested that maybe child psychology was not for me. And the reason that I was studying it was that I needed to do a bit of digging in my own childhood and suggested to me that I uh, got some one-to-one therapy, which is what I did. And, uh, At the same time, I also knew that I wanted to and believe in the power of groups and working with groups. So that began a whole journey of exploring humanistic psychology, of studying and practicing as a group therapist and ultimately led me to do a master's in management learning.
1: And is that what led you into the job role you're doing now, which is in leadership?
0: Yeah, very much so. So I did the master's when I was in my early 30s. And by then I was living near Lancaster University. I studied in Lancaster and I lived on the moors. I was part of a community, had a sense of belonging. And um, myself ran workshops and realized that what I wanted to do was to work with people in the business world, in the corporate world and across sectors. So that's, yeah, that's how I came to to do that.
1: And would it be the case that the reason why you're connected to do it and you're so passionate about it is because in some way you were trying to stop people feeling the loss that you felt kind of just drifting through life, or your career and saying, you may not have found your identity, but here's some other people that look like they've got it together through your conversations. Here, listen to them. Let me help you, and you're tapping into your past experiences and helping reframe it in a way that is positive to say, you may feel like this, this, and this. Fine, use that energy. And it can become this with the right sense of direction. I can help you the direction by however you present that information. I'm taking a stab in the dark here. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, as you take that um, stab in the dark, it reminds me that I there is some that there was something that I have. The way I've described the journey is makes it sound quite linear. That I discovered. Humanistic psychology, all the different practices that I um, had one to one therapy, which helped me to be present to myself, to find my truth, and that I was living in the country, leading and running workshops and doing some training as well for others. And what I haven't shared yet. Matt which I think is important is that then I had the first of three ectopic pregnancies which was a huge loss and shock so there I was having found my truth and found my purpose and with my partner became pregnant was happy delighted felt really confident in my my body and my work in myself and was doing uh work with women only groups on you know our body ourselves was a book that informed my practice i was very involved in a number of different communities and then this thing happened and It was a tremendous loss on a par, but very different from the sense of loss of identity I had felt in my late teens when I had the really traumatic experience. And clearly having an ectopic pregnancy at three months was very traumatic and was also life-threatening thanks to the NHS. Um, I survived and I was very changed by it. And I think when I mentioned around confidence and resilience earlier, it took me quite a long time to, I was once again very bent out of shape. Having found myself, I lost myself again through this loss, which was huge. And I wasn't even sure after that first ectopic present pregnancy that I would be able to bend back into shape again. So when you said, did that lead you to the work you did, the kind of the masters, actually it was the loss of hope and possibility that I experienced in the first and then the second ectopic pregnancy that had me lose confidence again in myself and what I was doing and had me reevaluate everything and had me as it turned out think about what else i could do and where i would like to work and that's what drew me to to do the the masters to study to learn because at that moment i thought it might not be possible for me to have children and i thought very purposefully about where i wanted to grow my my work and where I wanted to do it in fact I am a mum I have two beautiful grown-up daughters who I'm proud of every day and uh, I'm very fortunate and again very grateful for the help that I got along the way I treasure them every day dearly
1: that is so beautiful and wow I feel like I need a part two just for that in itself gosh look at you just dropping these massive. Massive gems. I'm very conscious of time, so I'll ask you a couple of questions. One of them would be What would you say to your younger self at your lowest point during what you've just described? What would you say to your younger self to help you push through and not give in, stop putting that foot in front of the other? What would you tell yourself so that you could hear? the messes of encouragement that will get you through that darkest days.
0: I love you. I'm proud of you. You'll be all
1: right. Do you think you'd hear that?
0: I think I would tuck it away and I would know it and reach for it and eventually believe it.
1: And would that be in your teens? Would that be when you're in your early 30s or during the pregnancies?
0: Throughout life, actually, Matt. (laughs) I think I reach into that. I think it's what I would have loved to hear more of um, as a child. I certainly did hear it from my parents, when uh my relationship with them grew and grew and about 10 12 years ago they moved to live close to me and during knowing that they would be living their last years close to me that I had a role to play in loving them, caring for them, and ensuring that they felt some of the things that perhaps we hadn't felt when I was growing up, I wanted them to feel as they were growing old. And so finding that love, particularly in our relationship towards the end of their lives. Not that it hadn't been there before, but really feeling it and hearing both of them say those things to me. I can remember having a doorstep conversation with somebody who is a writer and uh, sharing something similar about what we would have loved to have Heard as children more. So is it maybe we did hear it, but it, we didn't take it in to your point. Um things got in the way. And I remember sharing with with her what I would have loved to hear more of, but that I did hear now was that I was loved, that they were proud of me, and that they believed in me. And I do think, in terms of losing confidence and resilience, not only self-belief matters, but the belief of others, particularly at those low points. You know, those low points, it's the sometimes at the edge, at those low points, it's the belief of others that has um, in me, that has helped me to find my feet again. Uh, friends, family, and also being in nature has helped me to, you know, to find the confidence I'd lost, to rebuild my resilience, to knit myself together again with their help. And I really have experienced that and feel especially privileged and humbled um, to have been with my sister when my when our mother died, she was one side of her, I was the other side of her, and I never really understood the phrase passing away, but it really did feel like our beloved mum passed away. And I think for both of us, it made us wish that we had been able to be there with my father when he died. They Both my parents died where they want it to be which is great and both were as we were greatly supported by others in their end of lives and in their dying
1: if I could stretch through here and give you a big old cuddle I really would that that was oh,
0: Matt. well I would give you one back
1: oh that that definitely hit me that that was beautiful and yeah yeah they did a great job in raising you all the hard work all the seeds they poured into you they watered it they dug deep to make sure that this was really really buried into your being who you are the massive impact you're having Thank, thankfully with the help of technology the message you're helping they probably never knew they hoped that you'd do great things but they probably never knew you were going to achieve the greatness that you have and will continue to hit. So,
0: Well, Matt, I have to interrupt you there (laughs) because my dad used to say, when are you going to get a proper job? Uh, Because I definitely didn't do what they expected and or wanted me to do. And certainly not what they had imagined for me. And, uh, I think as I was growing up, I didn't, I, I really do recognize that they did the best with what they had got and wanted the best for me. I think I have parented very, very differently, and but with the same intentions of loving and caring and being there uh, in a way that I didn't always feel that they were for me, but that we were able to find Uh, within within each other and for each other, certainly in our lives?
1: Well, the way I see it is that with my wife, with my kids, if I could say to God, this is what I want. I want this, 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 and this, and this. Are you sure? Yeah, 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 I want that. Mm -hmm. I would have got such a lesser version, lesser quality of life than the one that's provided to me. (laughs) So as much as they may not have understood what you did, or may not, may not have appreciated you know, the weight of what you carry, you smashed every expectation. And I know <laughs> that for a fact. And I'm so <laughs> grateful for you. And I know that because of what they poured into you, that's coming out. Whether it be right or wrong, it's still pouring out. Absolutely. Because what you didn't necessarily agree with, you're then changing it in a different way. Agreed. If you agreed with it, you perpetuate it. So... Love that for you and so grateful for this conversation.
0: Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on this conversation and being such a great podcaster.
1: I try. Just trying to emulate you, that's all. <laughs> so if I could ask you for the next two minutes to share where you're at, what you're doing, how people can get in contact with you. Because I'm sure people will be like, I want a part two. Can, can, can you just fill in some of these blanks for me? So the floor is yours, young lady. Thank
0: you. Well, I'd love a part two with you, Matt. And of course, you're going to be a guest on my podcast. So for listeners who would like to tune in and listen to guests I've already been in conversation with, do check out Leaders in Conversation with Annie Townend. The other place to find me is my website, Annie Townend, that's Annie without an E and Townend without an S, AnnieTownend.com and or you can email me directly at Annie at annietownend.com. And I look forward to interacting with you, to any of your listeners. Um, I wish you well in your journey of making sense of loss, of living your life and your leadership. And I truly look forward to connecting with
1: you. That was beautiful. Folks, you know how it is. I, I am just gobsmacked to be able to have conversation with people like this. And I guess for people that don't know much about Annie, with Annie, it's the fact that she just, she, her consistency, like even her branding, her website matches her podcast. All of that is the consistency is real. She, in her episodes, she thanks the editor. I should thank myself for editing. Thank you, future Matt, for editing this podcast. <laughs> you did a great job. You know, she, she, always giving flowers out and that is just so beautiful because I think not a lot of us do it we always went into the person's past and we give them flowers in their tombstone which is no good to them at that point she gives them their flowers she's such a strong individual and that phrase says you never make your strong person with an easy pass and this even though it was a tip the smallest tip of the iceberg kind of gave you an insight into what she's had to overcome what she's had to navigate and it's made her the version of herself that she is today. And the beautiful thing about it is she's still growing, evolving and willing to learn and change and adapt accordingly. She didn't give up when she had those pregnancies that didn't come to fruition, unfortunately. But then here she is with what she has. She may not have had the best relationship with her family, but she still pushed on and thankfully it became something beautiful still. There's a lot of things that she's had to overcome. She took a course that thankfully the lecturer said to her, this ain't for you and sometimes you need to have those honest conversations which may not sound nice at the time but the long-term results are right for the individual and I think if nothing else folks just take the honesty and if you have to re-listen to it so be it but I think there's so much value in what has been communicated today and I can't thank Annie enough for sharing hopefully she will come for part two but as you guys all know I'm a big fan of saying to you that your right now is not your forever, so please not dwell in it for too long, longer than you need to. And there's nothing about a caterpillar it's going to be a butterfly. Any stories tell you that in abundance. So look after yourself, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.